Thanks, Daniel. My name is Ron Cool. I'm one of the pastors here at Hillside. Again, I, I add my word of welcome to all of you. Uh, thanks for being here this morning. Uh, several weeks ago, we started, or actually last week, we started a series taking a look at the I Am statements in the Gospel of John. Seven times in the Gospel of John, John tells us that Jesus said, I am something. And we're going to take a look at those during this Lenten season as they lead us to the cross, as they, cross, as they remind us of our need and, and of the fact that Jesus is enough. And so we started last week and we looked at, and we said, Jesus said that I am the bread of life. All right, I am the bread of life. And, and this week we're going to take a look at another one. We're going to take a look at Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. All right, I am the light of the world. In order to understand this one, just like last week, we need to understand a bit of the context. We need to understand what's going on in this situation. So again, we have a, a map here for us to look at. Last week we were up north in the northern part of Israel, there at the Sea of Galilee, um, there where that arrow is up there. This week we're going to go to the capital. We're going to move down south. Jesus, Jesus and his disciples have gone to Jerusalem, which is right down here. You can see that there. Jesus and his disciples have gone there. And the reason, at least one of the reasons they've gone there, is they have a festival to celebrate, a feast to celebrate in Israel. And this was one of the major ones. It's called the Feast of tabernacles or the feast of booths you might have heard of it that way as well this was as i say one of the major fe- festivals for the jewish people there were three of them there was the feast of unleavened bread what we know as passover where we celebrate uh, where they celebrated the exodus god saving his people out of egypt we celebrate the lord's supper when they celebrated passover and so there was the feast of unleavened bread there was the feast of weeks leading up to Pentecost, which we also call that Pentecost, and then this one, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booth. This one took place in the fall, so it became kind of a time of celebration harvest and and the ingathering of of food and so on. But even more, it was intended to be a celebration of, of God's care for his people of God's care for his people when, they, when he led them through the wilderness after he rescued them out of Egypt, all right? Some of you may know that the people of Israel were in Egypt. They were slaves for 400 years, okay? Slaves for 400 years in the Exodus, where we celebrate again the Passover and the Lord's Supper. In that event, we celebrate that God rescued them out of Egypt, okay? God took them out of Egypt, But he was going to bring them to the promised land. But here's the deal. Egypt is here, and the promised land of milk and honey, and the good place, the safe place is here. And in between is the wilderness. Okay, in between is the wilderness. And so what tabernacles celebrated is that when they were living in tents, or booths, tabernacles, when they were living in tents... God was there for them when they were on that, on the, out in the wilderness, when they were out in the desert. And, and I want you to kind of get a sense of, of what that would have been like. One of the most fascinating things, when I went to Egypt a number of years ago, one of the most fascinating things about being in Egypt is we basically traveled up the Nile River. And when you're near the Nile River, it's tropical. It's green. The palm trees are there. It's gorgeous. There's food. There's, I mean, Egypt was known as the breadbasket of the world. Okay, it was known as the breadbasket of the world because the Nile River would flood and, and the, the soil was rich and they could grow crops and everything. But it, what was so fascinating to me, one of the things was that where the Nile River stopped flooding, it was immediately desert. It was immediately wilderness. I mean, there is such a line. You can see it here in this picture um, uh, that, that we have to look at. I, I mean, really, it's like this. <laughs> And, and so I want you to imagine what it was like. So God rescues the people of Israel, a million strong or so, something like that. God rescues them. Moses leads them. And imagine that kind of we're all there. We're underneath these trees here. And Moses says, all right, let's go home. And he points into the desert. <laughs> he points into the wilderness. 
And let me tell you, that would have been extremely scary. <laughs> I mean, these were people who had not spent time in the desert. They've been in captivity for 400 years. They've been living along the Nile. They've had bread. They've had food. They've had water. And Moses says, let me tell you, this is the way home. And he says, let's go out there. And, and if you see that, if you understand that, we're in this place where there's water and food. And Moses is saying, let's go out there in the wilderness. The people thought, are we sure we want to do this? That's one of the reasons why they so quickly wanted to return. Because this is just like, really, seriously? We're going to go out in the wilderness. And so what Tabernacles was about was recognizing that God took care of them. God, Moses said, God can guide us in there. The wilderness, everybody knows, is confusing. It was confusing for them, and it's confusing for us. Sometimes we find ourselves in the wilderness. Sometimes we find ourselves feeling like, no, we're not in slavery. We've been saved by Jesus. But I don't feel like I'm home yet. It's confusing. I don't know where to go. I'm not sure how to live. It's scary a little bit. And, 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 and that's the way it was for the people of Israel. They're out there in the desert. It's confusion. It's, it's confusing. It's scary. And, and it was especially so at night. <laughs> I mean, if you can imagine that. I mean, I, the, the, the temperature plummets at night in that part of the world. I mean, it would get cold. You don't know what animals are out there. You've got spiders. You've got snakes. You've got all sorts of things out there that don't, you don't like, that don't like you. And, and, and you're out there in the night. You don't know where to go. There are bands of, of people who can come and rob you and attack you and so on. And so this is the situation where they were. But God took care of them, and God guided them. And one of the main ways God did that, especially at night, was by a pillar of fire. Exodus 13, 21 says this. By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. All right? In the day there was a cloud, but at night. At night it was in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. God said, I'm here. And in the darkness and in the wilderness... And in this place where, where, where it's so tough, I can feed you. He gives them manna. We talked about bread last week. He gives them manna to eat. And he says, but I can also guide you. I am a fire. I am light. And I can, I can protect you. I can guide you. I can show you the way to get where you need to go. And so whether they were camped in one place and, and the fire would stay there and they'd be all in their tents or whether they were moving at night, God was in that fire. God was leading them. God was guiding them. And that image of God being a fire, of God being a light in the darkness, became such a powerful image for the people of God in the Old Testament, for the, the Jewish people. They sang songs like Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom should I be afraid? God, you are the light. You are the one who can take care of me. And God, I want to follow your way. Psalm 119, 105. God, your word is a lamp for my feet. A light on my path. God, you are fire, you are light, and your word tells me where to go. And so that's what they celebrated at Tabernacles. That's what they celebrated, that God was, was taking care of them out in the desert, that God was guiding them, that God was leading them. It was a celebration of God's care for them in the wilderness. And, and I just want you to know, this was, I think if I was a, a kid, especially in this day, it would have been one of my favorites. I, I, for, tabernacles was a great time of celebration, and the kids especially liked it, and there were two reasons for that. The first one is, when they celebrated tabernacles, everyone built booths or tabernacles to sleep in. Think tents or forts. This is like a citywide campout. This is people coming into Jerusalem, and everybody, even though you've got this house, what you say is, you know what? I need to know that it's not my house that protects me. It's God that protects me, so we're going to live in a tent. 
And some of you know how much I love sleeping in tents. No, I don't. But I mean, right, if you're a kid, right, you, everybody's building these, these things. Think of a, you know, they got, they got cloths around it. They got palm branches on the top of it. And everybody's hanging out outside. The second reason, especially the younger people, and probably this is why the dads liked it as well, is it involved a lot of fire. Okay, they just lit stuff up on fire, not each other or anything. But they, they had campfires, they had torches, they had lamps and lights and candles and all this stuff. And, and so basically it was like part street party, part camping trip, part worship service, part festival. It, it, everybody was able to just be out and they would celebrate. And, 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 and they would sing and they would dance and they would talk about how God is our light. And, and that in the darkness... And they were, in a sense, in the wilderness again at the time of Jesus because the Romans were really in control of them. They were in that kind of wilderness there. But they were saying, in the midst of our wilderness, God is our light. God will protect us, and God will guide us. And they'd light their fires, and they'd dance, and they'd sing their songs. And it was just a fun celebration. It was a joyful worship service. The center of everything took place at the tabernacle, or at the temple, rather. The, the celebration took place at, at the temple. And again, I want to show you uh, some pictures just to give you an idea of, of what we're talking about here. This is, I've shown this before, it's a model of Jer- Jerusalem in the time of Jesus. Um, and it's in Jerusalem today. If you ever get to Jerusalem, please step and stop and see this. It is, I think, so helpful to get an idea of how the city was laid out. Obviously, the biggest part of the city, the biggest place is the temple, which is right here in the center. Had that outer court area, okay? But the temple itself was primarily there in the middle, all right? It was, that was where uh, the, the temple proper was. The last part of that, the back part of that is called the Court of Men, and it's the place where the Holy of Holies is, the holy place, all that. No women were allowed to go through those doors into that back area beyond those pillars. Uh, It was just the men who were allowed to do that. That's not where Jesus is. That's not where the main celebration took place. The main celebration took place here in this front area, all right, in in that area right there. That's where everybody would gather. That's where everybody would be, and that's where everybody would celebrate. It was called the Court of the Women or the Treasury. Now, it wasn't the Court of the Women because only women could go there, but that was a place where men, women, and children could all be together. So obviously, many people spent much more time in this area, in, in, in this area when they went to the temple than anywhere else further on that. And so that's where they were, okay? Now, during tabernacles, during this week-long celebration or so, the priests would set things up. And, and, and again, it would be a sign of, of, of the coming celebration. But what they would set up is they would set up these large pillars, 40, 50 feet tall. And, and on the top, there were bowls. You see two of them here and, and then two of them there. Generally, everybody agrees there were probably four of them in that area there. At the top, 40, 50 feet up, are these bowls with oil in them. And when it would start to get dark, a priest would climb up the ladder. Priests would climb up the ladder and would light all of those, those, those huge bowls. And it would just provide this amazing light all over Jerusalem, this amazing light that would spread all over. Again, just kind of fun, fascinating fact. Most people believe that at this point already, um, the, the, the wicks that they would use, they had these huge things. The wicks that they would use were actually the pants of the priest. 
from the previous year. They took the priest out, don't worry. But, the, but the, the, that's how big these things were. It was the, a wick was not just a little wick, it was pants. It was, so these things would just be blazing, and everybody would be out there celebrating, okay? Everybody would be out there dancing. It was light in the darkness. It was God is our light, God is our salvation. You know, Lord, the light of your love shine on us. Whatever songs they could sing about light, they would sing about light, and they would say, God, you are our light. You guide us. You protect us. We will follow you. God, you are the one who can take care of us in the wilderness. You're the one we turn to when we're scared. You're the one we turn to when we're confused. It's so there in the middle of this, and then Jesus just drops a bomb. Jesus is somewhere here. We don't know if he was on the steps. We don't know if he was by one of the poles. We don't know exactly how many people were listening to him. We know it was some of his disciples. We know it was some others as well. But Jesus is there, and there's this celebration going on, and Jesus says this. When Jesus spoke again, to the people, he said, you need to know something. I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. I gotta, I gotta believe that the people said, what, excuse me, what did you, are you, hold on. The Lord is my light. Jesus said, excuse me, let me tell you this. You gotta understand something. I, I am the light of the world. I am God, I am the one you need to follow. I am the one who can guide you. I am the one who can lead you. I am the light of the world. At this celebration that God is the light, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I can take you where you need to go. I can walk you through the wilderness. And and the words of Jesus are, are, are powerful and challenging, and he is making a really strong claim. This is in the middle of a section of John, and we won't get into it too much, but where Jesus is kind of throwing down the gauntlet and saying, look, you got to decide about me. You with me or aren't you with me? You're going to jump in all the way, or are you going to get out because you have to do one or the other? Jesus says, you know what? It's not that I am just somebody who has seen the light. It's not that Jesus, i got to tell you, I've seen the light, and it is great, and it is fantastic. I can preach that. I've seen the light. It's not that Jesus is saying, I can help you see the light. I think I can do that. I can point you to the light of the world. Jesus doesn't say either of those things. He says, I am the light. It's me. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And it would have just stopped everybody. It would have just stopped everybody because all of a sudden we have somebody claiming to be God. All of a sudden we have somebody claiming that we need to follow him, abandon all else, and follow him. And so let's think about what that means. Let's think about what Jesus is saying. I am the light of the world. Two questions as we try to unpack that. The first one is, let's just think a little bit more about what is Jesus claiming. I want to say three things about that. And then the last question, the next question is going to be, how are we going to respond? What will we do with this claim of Jesus? What are we going to do with him? Because we have to do something. What is Jesus claiming? Let's start with that question. Three things that Jesus is is claiming here. And the first one is, um, I I think, important for us to think about in our day and age. But he is saying, he is the light. In in the way Jesus says this, the word the is emphasized. And, And so he wants to make it very clear. He is not just a light. Jesus isn't claiming, I'm one of many lights. There are any number of lights you can follow, but I am one of them. No, Jesus is saying, I am the light. This is an exclusive claim. 
He's making it clear what Jesus is saying. No one else is the light. No one else can take care of you. No one else can guide you. No one else can put you, bring you through the wilderness to the promised land. No one else is the light. And, and in our culture... In our culture, that's one of those things that kind of gets us in a little bit of trouble. And, and I want to think with you about how do we think about that? What do we do with the, with the exclusive claim of Jesus here? I, I think we have to recognize it is an exclusive claim. Jesus says, I am the light. He's not saying, I am a light. He is saying he is the only way. And, and, and that's tough because, let's be honest, we live in a culture that is okay if we say Jesus is a way. It's mostly okay if we say, you know what, look, I have my light, you can have your light. But the words of Jesus himself says we don't get to say that. It feels much nicer, doesn't it, to just say, hey, look, I have my light, you can have your light, and every light is okay, just have a light. It's not true. It's not what Jesus claimed. He's not a light, he's the light. What do we do with that? How do we think about that? How do we talk about that? First thing, three things. I want to encourage you to make sure that we should not be arrogant. I, I think part of the problem we have as Christians is we have done this, and we've kind of talked about it like Jesus is the way, and the rest of you are wrong. And, 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 and on the one hand, we can say, well, that's true. But, but we do it like we're arrogant, like we figured it out. Like, like we're so smart. Like Jesus came to us because Jesus knows that he really needs Ron on his team. He doesn't need that you know, Ali character over there. He needs Ron, so he came to me, and I'm smarter, and you're all wrong, and you're all washed up. I believe Jesus is the only way, but I believe I have to think when I understand that, I have to recognize that there is no room for arrogance. If I am in Christ, if Christ has come to me, there is no room for arrogance. It is not because I am so great. It is not because I'm smarter than anybody else. It is simply God's grace, God's grace, God's grace. And, and there has to be, I think, a lot of humility and a lot of gratitude. I, I think that when we recognize that Jesus is the light, that Jesus is the only way, that Jesus is the gate, each one of these is an exclusive claim, and maybe we'll talk more about this. But when we recognize that, it should humble us. And we should recognize how often we've missed the light. And when I think about my neighbors who don't know Jesus as far as I can tell, when I think about people, it's not my job to threaten them. It's not my job to be angry at them. It's not my job to tell them if you had half of a brain, you'd come to Jesus because he's the light. I believe Jesus is the light. More than anything else, it's my job just to live it out and, and, and to pray for them and to invite them and to share when I have opportunities. But out of humility... To say, you know what, it's a scary world we live in. But Jesus Christ takes care of me. Jesus Christ protects me and guides me. And, and I, I want you to experience that as well. And, and, and so I, I think we have to, I, I, biblically we can't let go of the exclusive claim of Jesus. But, but we need to be humble and, and even be humble about, um, and I want to be real careful with this, but, but humble about saying, you know, Jesus is the only way, and I know the only way to follow him. Now, again, he's the only, but you know what? So often what I end up saying is, and you have to follow him exactly the way I do. You have to have an experience exactly like mine. I, I want to be humble enough to say, God, you, you, you will straighten that out, what that looks like in the end. Again, I, Jesus is the only way. 
But it's, I can't then make my way of following Jesus the only way to follow Jesus. Now, again, we try to base it on Scripture, so it's not that there's nothing we can say about it. I mean, we can challenge each other and encourage each other, so that's why I want to be so careful with this. It's not that we can say nothing, but I also want to be careful that we don't claim too much. Jesus is the only way. But, but there are people who follow him and, and, and worship in his name and who do it maybe a little differently than I do. And, and, and so we just need to be humble and thankful and again, to do what we can to point others to the light. I mean, these I am statements. I am the bread. I am the light. These I am statements remind us, friends, that Jesus is the hope of the world. And only Jesus is the hope of the world. So, he is the light. There's an exclusive claim there. He is the, the only way to, to make it through the wilderness to the promised land. Second part of it, and this is really the central part of it, he is the light. <laughs> he is the one who guides us. He is the one who can bring us home. He is the one who shows us the way to find real life. As he himself said, whoever follows me will have the light of life. And it's really, again, the light of the life. The light of the real life. The light of the stuff that we hunger for. That's what Jesus wants to bring us to. That's where Jesus wants to take us. And he is the light that brings us that way. He shows us the way to real life. And again, just kind of go back to that picture of, of heading out into the wilderness. And of, and of leaving the place of relative safety even though it's slavery. I mean, that's such a good picture of sin. Sin is in some ways relatively safe. It, it at least feeds us most of the time. But we leave that to go out into a wilderness to follow Jesus. There's a lot of darkness in our world. There's a lot of darkness in my heart. I guess yours too. But we all need light. We all need light. It's confusing. It's scary. And, and, and we all need that light to guide us. We need help in the dark. The fact is that's what a lot of happens around us. It's what happens with a lot of podcasts, right? What are we looking for? Help, guidance. A lot of books that we read. Advertisements. You know what advertisements are there to do? Tell you what good life is. Here's the way to real life. Buy this, do this, do that. There are so many people saying to us, this is how you make it through the wilderness. Jesus says, no, I am the light. I am the one who can bring you through the wilderness. And one of the questions I want to encourage you to chew on this week, eh, and with yourself, with a group, whatever it is, is, is to be honest and say, God, help me to see what other lights am I tempted by? What, what am I, other lights am I tempted to follow? What other lights am I tempted to, to live by? I, I, you know, I mean, the world tells me that if I have enough money, if I have enough the security, if I have enough savings, if I have enough whatever, then I will have the good life. Who's telling me what the good life is? Whose light am I following? Am I being hungry for the light of Jesus? Jesus says, I'm the only light that's going to bring you home. My way, following me, my way, is going to look crazy. It's going to look like I'm leading you into the wilderness. It's going to look at times like you're dying. But I'll tell you this, I will bring you to the place of deep peace and deep joy. So he is the light. He is the light. And then the third thing we need to recognize to balance the first one is he's the light of the world. If with the first claim, we saw that he's exclusive, he's the light, the only light, not just a light. With this last part, he says, yeah, but I'm for everybody. I am the light, not just of the Jewish people or the white people 
or the liberals or the conservatives or fill in the blank. So often allowed those things, and, and at this point what we need to recognize is this, yes, Jesus on the one hand is exclusive. He is the light, but he is also deeply inclusive. He is the light for everyone. He is the light for red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight. He is the light for those who disagree with us on so many things. He is the light. And we need to recognize he's the light for the world. And so we have this this tension that we as Christians live with of being, Jesus being exclusive in this phrase. It captures it so well. I am the light, but so inclusive of the world. And we want to be there for the whole world. And we want to care and love the whole world. So that's what he's claiming. He is the light. He is the, he is the light. He is the light. And he is the light of the world. And, and, and what I want you to think about is what are you going to do with that claim? What are you going to do with that claim? Each and every one of us needs to decide this. I'm not going to go through it in the text. If you read the next verses, the uh, Pharisees Jesus is talking with, they say, well, hold on, where are your witnesses for this? You don't give us enough information. We need to know this, this, and this. And Jesus says, you got what you got. <laughs> you got what you got. My father and me. We can't see your father. Well, then you got me. <laughs> and Jesus says, what are you going to do with me? He, he just puts it all on the table. He says, I'm either the light or I'm, I'm a lunatic, right? I mean, this is it, it, the options for us. What are we going to do with him? Will we follow? And will we trust his way? And, and before you say, of course, of course, I'm a Christian. <sighs> I mean, we need to recognize that this way is one that begins in the desert. It's a way that begins with admitting we can't make it on our own. It's a way that begins with, that's why this Lenten season is what it is. It's begin, it begins with saying, not what my hands have done, as we sang earlier. Not what my hands have done. The way of Jesus admits that I, my light, the light I have inside of me, is going to take me to the wrong place. And the lights in the world that I've followed are going to take me to the wrong place. I can't make it on my own, Jesus. I need you. And it, it begins with a really tough confession. Saying, I'm going to give up on all my safety. I'm going to give up on all my security. And, and admitting I can't make it on my own. It's a way that looks upside down. Jesus says, follow me and I'll show you life. And then he climbs on a cross. I mean, stop and think about that. He says, follow me and I'll show you true life. And then he climbs on a cross and says, this is the way. You see, he says, the way to be great is to serve others. The way to receive is to give. The, 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 the way to, to live is to, is to wash somebody else's feet. This is it. It looks upside down. And it's not always easy to know what it looks like in our world. But it's important that we keep seeking it. But ultimately, it's a way that leads to peace and to joy. It's a way that will provide us a security we cannot find anywhere else. Not because nothing bad's going to happen to us. Not because it's going to be easy. No, we'll have times when we're in the wilderness, but we are always in the wilderness in the light of Jesus. Whenever we are out there, we are in the hands of Jesus. We, we are protected and loved and guided by Jesus. He is our light. He is our salvation. And we don't need to be afraid, even when it hurts and we're broken and we cry out, because he will take us to that place that is home, the land of milk and honey. That's what Jesus says. I'm the way. It's going to look like death. But I'm the light. 
I'm going to show you where to go. Follow me. Jesus offers us light in our darkness. Like I say, it's a scary world. It's a confusing world. So often, I don't know where to go. And even when I seek to follow Jesus, sometimes it's really hard to know. Chew on that one. What does it mean to follow Jesus? How do I do this? God, show me your light. Help me to see where you want me to go. He offers me that light in the darkness. Once again, this morning, the question is, will we follow? Will we follow and trust that he can take us where we so need to go? Let's pray together. Father, there are a lot of lights around us. And when we're confused and when we're scared, we can find ourselves turning to all sorts of different places. Father, some of these lights promise us great things. They promise us deep joy. They promise us peace. They promise us security. They promise us that we're going to be really happy if we just do this, this, and this, and this. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus. And Jesus, lead us home. For some of us right now, it seems dark. Lord, shine the light of your love on us. We pray this in the name of the one who is light, Jesus. Amen. You please stand. We're going to sing together a, a, a response. God, praise you. Thank you for the light of Jesus. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Again, following our service, I'd like to pray with somebody. They'll be happy to meet you in the prayer room there. And uh, just want to talk to somebody. You can go there as well. People of God, as we go from this place, know that the light of God goes with you. Go in God's grace. Amen.